This is Andy Steiger. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you to understand and speak the language of our culture and to address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Hi, welcome back to the AC Podcast. I am joined with Alicia Stoby, and we are doing a three-part series, Parenting Your Child in a Technological Age. And before we jump back into things, I actually wanted to share something from our time of working together. I I don't know if I've ever uh, shared this with you, but you and I both have a curse. To me, it's absolutely hilarious. So, I have this curse where I could be having the best day of my life. And I just have a poopy face. I just have this face. You know what it, you know what I'm talking about because you've worked I with do. me. Yeah. You'll come into the office. People, I've had this where people come into the office and they think my dog died, you know, because that's just my natural face. I hate it. So I have to like throughout the day remind myself to smile more and whatnot because my natural face just looks like the world has ended. You have the exact opposite problem. And I remember you sharing this with me. Do you, I don't know if you remember this. Oh, I have the exact opposite problem. Yes. You always look like you're having the greatest day of your life. And I'll, I, I remember when we were working together that you would like come into the office and you just all smiles, but you're just having the worst day. <laughs> you are not the first person to actually comment to me about that. Yes. It was so funny because you were, you're just talking about how you know, when you always look like you're having a great day, that also has its own challenges because then people can't read that maybe you're not having a great day. Oh, uh, so funny. So, anyway, it's one of my one of my cherished memories. I, somehow we need to like meet in the middle. Okay. You know, and Andy Alicia split. Yeah, would neutral be perfect. Zone. Yeah. <laughs> As we get back into uh, things today. You know, last time we we met, we talked more about what are some concerning issues out there that parents, you know, we want to want to warn you about. And we went through, uh, I think it was like five that we wanted to warn parents about. But help people understand the direction that we're going to go in today. Well, today we're going to talk about kind of how to have a conversation in real life, real time with our children of different developmental stages. So last time we talked about, you know, the impacts of cyberbullying and blackmail and, um, you know, all, all these things, pornography that our kids are encountering online, statistics and what have you. And today we really want to get practical. We want to talk about what does that mean in our family? What does that mean as me and as a parent? And how does that translate to my actual living situation? Now, I remember when we were first talking about doing this three-part series, that was one of the things I shared with you. Okay, Alicia, if we're going to do this, one of the things that we have to do is be very practical. Because as parents, you know you know just as well as I do that, that at the end of the day, you're really looking for, okay, how do I put this to use? Give me some practical advice. And today, we're going to do that. You know, I guess this is a practical piece of advice as we first start getting into things. You know, as we've talked, I could tell that this is something that is really significant to you. And that is the developmental aspect of a child. And to be honest with you, you know, I don't have the same training as you. It's not something that I think about. But as I have worked with my own children, parenting them through technology or with technology, I have noticed that, you know, you really do need to take into account their development, what stage is their brain in, because technology affects it so dramatically. So let's get into that today. What are the impacts on the brain? Yeah, so 
the reason why I have landed here as this is important is because I've sat with many children of many ages. Um, generally speaking, you know, five through I'm going to say 18, uh, who've encountered difficulty with online, but also just, you know, how to process things, how to move through things, um, how to grieve things. And it's actually quite different how different children can receive information and understand what's going on and how their brain is able to navigate the world. And so that really got me into researching, you know, well, what is their brain capable of? What can we expect? And I find that parents can either typically sit on one side or the other. And let me talk about these two sides. One of them is not expecting anything from our children. That it's like, well, they're children, so they're not going to know, they're not going to understand, and they're not going to be able to follow through. And then there's the parent that's on the other side, and it's, my kid can understand it perfectly at the age of five. They know what they're doing. It's manipulative. And so it's actually somewhere in between, depending on the age of your child. And so today, as we go through some of the impacts, I definitely am going to be integrating what the brain looks like specifically for different age groups. And how I want to start today is, how does engaging in screens impact the brain of a child, generally speaking? Let me jump in here, just for those who either don't have children, maybe you haven't gotten to the stage yet with technology, or maybe you passed it, but you didn't fully experience it, you know, wherever you're at on that. Let me just give you my own quick experience with this, because this is when I began to realize that me being on a screen is a lot different than my child being on a screen, especially when they're young. And when I first encountered this was when my kids were little and I let them play a video game for the first time. <laughs> you know, I had an iPad and I gave my child this iPad and said, here, you can play this, this video game. And I'll, I'll never forget it because my son peed his pants. He played that video game and didn't even register. He was surprised when he peed his pants, because I mean, it's that level of connection with a child, like their brain is being stimulated at such a high level that they don't even understand biological functions yeah. that are going on in them. And the second one that my wife and I began to experience, and my wife saw this first, that if our children ever played on a screen for longer than 30 minutes, it would dramatically affect their behavior and their mood. Mm. What's going on there? Yeah. Well, one thing we really want to consider and be clear about is that an adult's brain is fully developed. And what that means is there's lots of regions in the brain and the brain is not fully developed uh, when we're born. It develops throughout time. And then researchers kind of disagree on when it stops the growth period between 21 and 25, generally speaking. But it grows in functions, so areas of the brain, so the cerebral cortex, which is in the front, or the amygdala, or what have you. But like the actual growth of the brain happens, but also the density of the brain and the communication between the hemispheres. So there's a lot going on in the growth of the brain that has not happened for children and is starting to happen for teenagers. And so we can't expect the brain to be able to regulate the body or communicate to the body, such as I have to go to the bathroom when it's hyper-focused on something else when they're young, because th that uh, integration is not clear yet. It's still being developed. So from a practical standpoint, 
speaking to parents out there that are beginning to realize, okay, I need to take into account that my child's brain is developing. And so that means that I can't view my child's interactions with technology is the same as my interactions with technology. What advice, though, would you give with regards to how does this impact the way that we parent? Um, well, how it impacts the way that I parent is um, I try to actually picture my little one's brains and their capacity to regulate and understand. The last episode, we briefly mentioned that my kids currently aren't online. They don't engage in screens, typically a casual football game here and there with their dad, maybe. But that's simply because pediatric recommendations, but also they can't handle it. I give them half an hour of Peppa Pig and there is meltdown after meltdown and begging day after day for Peppa Pig. And I simply don't want my child to experience themselves in their body in that form. And so how I hope it's going to impact parenting is looking at the child that you have and not seeing them as an adult and seeing your role as guiding them in their current developmental stage in handling online. And there's several aspects to that. One is how does the brain receive information online and how does it impact the development of the brain? Because there's some great research on how screen engagement is actually impacting and stunting some of the development if they're engaged on screens at, at a high level. Uh, language, literacy, the ability to think, self-regulate. It looks like ADHD. There's lots and lots of research on if children are engaging on screens, then their brain is being impacted. And we can get into those specifics if we want to. But also, we need to consider our children's ability to make good decisions. And so sometimes when a child is bullied online or asked for you know, a nudie shot, teen sexting or what have you, their, their ability to think about and hold with the consequences for long term is actually held in the cerebral cortex, which is the front of the brain, which is one of the last places to fully develop. And so they actually measurably do not have the capacity to say, hey, you know, my current boyfriend right now wants a shot of me over screen time. And how is that going to impact me in two years in one year in three months. So their reasoning capacity, and we, we, you know this when you talk with them, even with teaching and those sorts of things, you, you realize, okay, their reasoning capacity is not at the level of an adult. And I know this is really common sense, but it's something that we have to remind ourselves in because I think our default often is to want to parent our child like they're an adult. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think sometimes we do it out of good motives. You know, we want to treat them with respect and, and we want to treat them in a way that we want them to operate at. Right. We want them to operate responsibly. So I'm going to treat you responsibly. Do you know what I mean? But the challenge is, is you don't, is that we don't realize they're not an adult and, and they're, they're not reasoning at that level. And there are aspects of their brain that is developing and can easily through technology specifically be overloaded. And it's one of those parenting moments where you're like, wow, you know, why is it that when my kid watches 30 minutes of Peppa Pig, you know, <laughs> that they're just an absolute terror afterwards. And so I think there's a lot of parents that perhaps don't realize how technology overloads your child's brain. And like I said, I would have never thought it. I would have never believed what I'm saying now unless I'd seen it. Mm -hmm. So what we started implementing was rules as our children got older, you know, because right now your kids aren't online, but you, you can't stay that way. 
You know, your child will get to a point where they will have screen engagement. And it's one of those interesting aspects that I've realized as a parent because we really parented our children well and we kept them from a lot of stuff online. A lot of the reasons you are as well. One is we saw what it was doing to them. Plus, we wanted to make sure that their imagination was being engaged and they were learning how to play with, you know, Lego and these other sorts of things and how to build things and whatnot. Interestingly enough, though, what we found is our children in the school system were immediately introduced into technology. The school system is so integrated with technology. And I remember they would come home and tell me about the, a YouTube video that they watched or a new app that they played or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, where did you watch this YouTube video? Where did you find this app? You know, I thought a kid at school had showed it to me. They're like, no, 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 this is my teacher. That's one of those challenges. Well, and I find it very curious because the engagement of screens online at school is not in line with the Pediatric Association recommendations for screen time for children and teens. So it's very clear, uh, at least it was a year ago, it was very clear that children under the age of two have zero screen time as the pediatrics would recommend. Two to five, it's under one hour. And that's not just a child in front of, let's say, Peppa Pig or what have you, but that's sitting with a parent and the parent is having conversation with the child about the screen, which is very different than I would say what parents like to use screen time for. And then after that, the maximum, even for teenagers, is under two hours of screen exposure. And so a lot of the questions come out from, well, what does that mean? Does that mean TV and phone and schooling and all of this. Yeah, when I say screen time, I mean screen exposure. It's how the screens actually impact with the eyes and how the eyes register with the screen itself. It's how the whole brain interacts with what they're engaging with online. And early studies found and are continuing to find that children who exceed the pediatric recommendation of screen time, um, they have less white matter that is being developed in their brain. Okay, what does that mean? Well, white matter is essential for cognitive functioning. It's essential for literacy and language. There was a really interesting study. Uh, my husband has a, a foundation in linguistics, so the study of language is a conversation in my home. And so there's the study about how language is formed. Very early on, in the first couple years. Very, very early on. And people think, and they, there used to be baby Einstein, who, who you know, has gone to court since, but people thought like, oh, if I put my child in front of the screen, they'll learn language because they're hearing it all the time. And actually, that's not true. Children who are in front of the screen and who are not having conversational language with a primary caregiver, their literacy in language, so ability to read and write and engage in language is much, much lower. It's not in the hearing of the language, it's in the engagement through relationship. Now, one aspect of that that I've always found interesting as well is feral children. So, children who either had very little engagement with parents or none, you know, and you'll hear about these stories where they lived wild or whatever. But if a child doesn't have or develop that language skill, and you can look this up, it's quite well documented, within those first couple of years, then they lose that ability. They can't learn language. It's very, very hard to develop after that point. Yeah. And it is worth noting that they're not sure if it's the engagement with the screens about language and the white matter, or if it's what it's taking away from the children. The ability to be bored, the the time 
to day after day to play, to find activities, to have imagination, to pick up a storybook and read, even if they're looking at pictures. And so it might not be the screens itself, they're not sure, but it is definitely what it takes away from these children and, and teenagers. Now, to be real, this is more than just an issue for children. Yeah. I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, we have to parent ourselves with regards to this as well. And this has actually been a learning experience for me. Before we started the show, we were talking about my PhD work. And I was surprised. We were, I was talking about just the level of work that a PhD requires. And one of the things that surprised me by it was because I'm in front of a screen so much reading and writing, I've had to be careful because I've developed all sorts of issues, one of which is dry eyes. So physically, your eyes are not meant to stare at a screen all day. And there is something that goes on with screens. They're not exactly sure what it is, but your eyes don't blink as often when you're looking at screens and it has an effect. So I have to do some weird stuff. Like I have to put eye drops in. Uh, one of the weirdest things I have to do is often I have to sit on the ground and look down. Um, if anybody else has dry eyes, this actually works very well because when you look down at a screen, it lowers your eyelids close a little bit, but your back starts hurting and all sorts of other stuff. But these are real world implications to too much screen time that we have to be careful of. And I think one of the other big ones though, is as a parent, it's so easy to bring our technology with us and we model it, don't we? Well, and that's that's a beautiful thing to bring up here is when we talk about essentially how do we parent our kids in this realm, it's going to land on modeling. I'm going to say, these are my biases, modeling and initiating the conversation. And those are two very separate things, but two very important things. And so I'll touch on modeling here. So our kids aren't the only ones, like you say, that are engaging with screens. And research is coming up with this as well, but also really like lands in the, the counseling room. What we ask our children to do, what we want our children to do, we need to model. And so parents right now are on average checking their phone 10 times an hour, okay? They're on their screens up to 10 hours a day. And our children are not uh, ignoring this. And it's actually impacting their development and our quality relationship with them. And so, I mean, really practically thinking, if you have a child or a teenager come in the room, it's after school, uh, what have you, and you still have to get a little bit of work done. And, and I can relate to this for sure at my own home. I own my own business and I'm, I'm constantly working. Is that How do they register that? How do they register their, their importance in the room when they're having a conversation? conversation or you initiate a conversation and then all of a sudden, ding, your phone goes off and everybody's ear is now primed for the ping. And even in friendships, we can relate to this where, okay, then we stop the conversation and then somebody goes and checks their phone. Well, if we have enough of these interactions with our children, they register themselves as a certain level of importance and they actually stop giving a more in-depth conversation and parts of themselves when they think that it can be stopped at any moment. And so that really impacts relationships. And very, very simply how this might land is it's called like screen hygiene, to create values and screen hygiene for your family very intentionally. Talk to your partner, talk to your spouse around uh, what do you want this to look like in the home? And so 
practically, I would advise people to no screen time at any meals, no screens at, at meals. We want our children to look at their food, to digest their food. We want to promote conversation and meal times is a great place to do that. Another place, driving. One of the places that we can capture with our teenagers is in the car when we're driving them from place to place is to really utilize those times to start these conversations, to have silence, to give space. Different temperaments from different children need a certain amount of space to even invest in a conversation. I learned this through my husband because he's he's an introvert. And, uh, <laughs> and so he doesn't just jump in there and have a conversation like I do. I, I'll interrupt. I'll get in there. I'm an identical twin. You know, I'm there. Uh, but my husband, he stays back and waits subconsciously for a certain amount of space to enter into. And a lot of children will do that and teenagers. And we need to create that silent, undistracted space so we can know and meet our children. So modeling is is one aspect of this. And I think it's a, an incredibly important aspect because you're tacitly teaching your child how to use technology when you do that, that will follow them. Like you say, with the dinner table, I think that's such an important one, that we can teach them good habits such as being present, that when I'm with other people, I'm actually with other people. But if you allow, especially at an early age, for your child to get into the habit of bringing a phone, for example, to the dinner table, or you are in the habit of bringing a phone to the dinner table, there then becomes this disconnection where now I'm in multiple conversations at once. And one of, one of the challenges that I've seen is that kids like that. They don't want to be present because I think they enjoy the stimulation of being in multiple conversations. I think a lot of kids are afraid of being bored or just being quiet or just even listening. So, you can see that even even at the dinner table. I mean, that's one of those places where all that really just starts getting modeled. Is there something you want to say about that? Oh, Andy, there's so much I want to say about this. And I need to say that uh, I normally do like a minimum three-hour workshop on this content. And so I can't get into everything that comes up for me. But yeah, like... One of the research that comes up for me and that I see in real life is the nuances of what is learned when we're in relationship without technology. So when we have multiple devices and multiple conversations going on at the same time, that's uh, multitasking, parents think, oh, that's a good thing. They're really good at it. Actually, that leads to information overload, difficulty sleeping, depression, irritability, increased anxiety, dysregulation, inability. But the research that I'm really interested in right now is how it impacts the child and the teenager's ability to read the real life person. And so what they're finding is that when kids and teens and are on screens a lot of the time and they're not getting this in person with an adult conversation consistently, they're not able to read the fine tuning of, of facial features and the changes of that. And what happens when we're not able to do that is that we're not able to increase empathy or understand what facial expressions are communicating. So why does this matter, Andy? Because can you imagine going to an interview and not knowing how the interviewer is actually feeling? 
Would that not increase your anxiety? I don't know. I can't read your facial features. I know that I can't read your facial features, but I can't read them. So that inability actually lowers their... Or there's me. You can read my facial features, but you might have it wrong. (laughs) I might might have it wrong. Yeah, yeah. As a trained therapist, I'm okay with that. (laughs) But Uh, what were you saying? But that increases anxiety. When we're in the grocery store and someone has an expression and we can see the expression, but we can't actually read how they're feeling, that's a primal instinct thing that really creates off kilter for these kids because they don't know how to read real life environments and so their social ability decreases significantly their confidence decreases significantly their ability to communicate and go back and forth decreases significantly so then would you say their device can then become a coping mechanism in the midst of all this Yes, that is exactly what I would say. I would say that devices are both the parents and the children's coping mechanism, excuse me, and it's our primary way that we're soothing ourselves, we're soothing our bodies, and it's actually damaging our ability to regulate and to lower anxiety. And so I think it was China, they were like, whoa, this is a real problem. And so they actually took a bunch of kids and they put them in a camp. Um, It was a screen detox camp because they... Those are very popular in China and Korea. Yes, and for good reason. And so they actually researched this originally, like, does this make a difference? And they did find that after five days of no screens, these kids and uh, actually turning towards like this, two kids, and then uh, put happy on your face. And then so you would get happy and I wouldn't know. And I'm now reading your facial features and guessing. So practicing after no screens and intentionally practicing, they were able to re-engage that uh, learning of empathy and reading facial features and facial cues. Now, I could imagine this would be something you would be very interested in as a counselor because in, and I did my minor in psychology and I remember, you know, in our counseling 101 classes, this is an important aspect of not only counseling, but even being a good friend, right? Is what does it look like to look engaged and to be actually engaged in another person's conversation? You know, what does it look like to sit forward, for example? Or what does it communicate if I have a phone even on the table, let alone if I'm scrolling through it while you're talking to me? Right. These are important things that we model. And I would absolutely agree with you. One of those places that we model this so clearly every day is at the dinner table. So, for example, not only am I on my device at the dinner table, but do I have a device on the table? Right. So in the Steiger household, not only is there no device, you know, that you can be looking at on a table, but no device even on the table. And it was funny because the other day I got in trouble for this because my kids were like, dad, what are you doing? Because I had my phone at the dinner table. And uh, so they were, they were reprimanding me because they knew that this was a rule, not only for them, but it was a rule for me. So what happened was I was selling something on Facebook marketplace and they were coming, you know, in the next like five minutes. So I was arranging it. So I was like, guys, like relax. Like this is what's going on. But I thought that's so good. They're getting it. They knew Dad, that's not an appropriate place. When a child can experience feeling respected, heard, space for them, space to be received, they notice when that space goes away. Before we continue, a message from Andy. Hi, listeners. This is Andy Steiger. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to the AC Podcast and to let you know that my new book, Reclaimed, How Jesus Restores Our Humanity in a Dehumanized World, is now available for pre-order. 
As a special thanks for pre-ordering the book, we are giving away a special reader's guide, a free copy of the Human Project video series with a bonus video, and an invitation to join me on a Zoom call where I will be teaching on the content of the book and answering questions. To redeem these, simply email your receipt number to info at apologeticscanada.com. Pre-order your copy today. In fact, if you pre-order it, it is currently 30% off at churchsource.com or christianbook.com. Of course, it is also available on Amazon. The book ships September 1st. And now, back to the podcast. Let me give some other advice just when your kids get a little bit older that I've learned. One of those that my wife and I have thought through and just for you listeners, something to think about is should you bring a device, say your kids have a switch or they have an iPad, should they bring that device with you on a vacation or should they bring that device with you on a camping trip? And I don't think that there's a golden rule that just goes, you know, here's a blanket rule. I I really don't. But our kids have begun to understand when a device would be allowed and when it wouldn't, because sometimes a device can actually be used in a really positive way. For example, when, when we've done a trip where we've had to fly a long distance, that can be an incentive to say, hey, kids, you know, I know you're going to have to sit here for five, eight hours, right? But I'm going to let you have some extra screen time on the airplane. And that that's actually worked out beneficial to us, right? But we've had other moments where we've said, listen, kids, we're going to the lake this weekend and, you know, your cousins are going to be there. So we're explaining it to them saying, hey, we're not going to bring our devices because we don't want that to distract us from playing with our cousins. Now, that doesn't mean that Cousins might not bring devices, but it is interesting that it starts to set a precedent that people know, okay, when the Steigers come or your family, that they're present. They're not being distracted by device. So we went fishing the other weekend and they knew, okay, devices are not coming on a fishing trip, right? And those, those start to become ways that we need to realize, okay, there isn't some blanket way to parent technology and there's going to be give and take as you go through this. But here, those are just a couple that I've had to work through. Yeah, and that's that's definitely something uh, I would recommend is taking a look at your family values and what fits for your family, okay? But do it intentionally. Do it knowing that you are the parent and you get to decide. And that kids, my experience is that kids have a little bit of a, a fight whenever there's a transition of anything. So they used to be able to have it, now they don't. So there's a little bit of a fight there. But they actually really long for places where there is intentional no tech time. I think just to make that even more more concrete is they like those boundaries. Well, they need the boundaries. Yeah. In and order- and they, they need them and they, they like them. So what... They so may not communicate it you, that way, though. Yeah, exactly. You might, as a parent, not feel like they like them, but the child needs them on such an important level that they learn to trust them and then they learn to rest and enjoy their time when those are there. And they can get very upset when those are taken away. 
And so it's really important for families to etch out weekly, daily, monthly, and yearly time that is has no technology and kind of just, I want to challenge you just to see what happens. See what kind of conversations do come up. See what boredom does bring. There wasn't a lot of research on boredom that I'm aware of 10, 12 years ago, but now that there's so many screens in the homes and how it's impacting kids, now there's a lot of research on the importance of boredom. And um, actually, it's really linked with intelligence, increased boredom, increased intelligence, creativity, decreased mental health symptoms. But boredom itself for a family to experience might feel scary. And then when you do it, oh my goodness, it can create such beautiful, creative, fun, spontaneous moments. Uh, We just have to be able to trust our resiliency and our children's resiliency not to cope through technology and to be present and find new ways to interact. Here's one way that as our family has experienced this in in a very practical way, we love going backpacking. We love hiking as a family and doing day trips. And so obviously when we're hiking, A, you know, you can't have a device on there. One, we wouldn't allow it, but two, just practically speaking, you know, you're walking through the forest, you know, you, you have to be present. And we have found that those have been some of the best conversations that we've had with our children is just walking through the forest on a hike together and talking about all sorts of stuff. One of the things that my kids love to do is they'll love to talk about whatever they're interested in. Like, for example, my kids love Pokemon. So, They'll talk about how many Pokemon can they remember, you know, and I'll count them out, you know, (laughs) it can be silly like that. And you can have these also these great conversations and deep conversations in those moments. Now, one of the things, though, that that we see is parenting your children through technology is going to look different through each of the life stages. And maybe as we kind of end this session here, let's just talk some really practical advice here as we think through the different stages. You know, we think about ages 2 to 12, and we think about ages 12 to 14, and and then 14 and up. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm a I'm coming into the teenage years. Now, I've pastored teenagers and young adults for, for 20 years now, but it's it's different when they're your own kids and each kid is different. Yeah. What are some practical advice that we could just end on here as we think about these different stages? And we really haven't talked yet much about, you know, I think a lot of what we've talked about has been through the 2 to 12, but we haven't talked as much about, okay, what does 14 and up look like? You know, what does it look like to parent my children as they're approaching 18? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'll briefly address 2 to 12 so that we can have more time for the older group. 2 to 12, I would just recommend you're online with them. They don't have private accounts. They don't have individual accounts. They don't have individual devices. They are too young. Their brains are too underdeveloped for them to hold that responsibility. Legally, we are responsible as parents to parent that world. And, um, you know, most platforms do not support 12 and under having any sort of autonomy on Facebook, Instagram, all of those things are not, uh, it's not set up for it. it. The contracts don't agree to it um, for very, very good reasons. And so, you know, find out what fits for you, what times fit for you. Be, I think my biggest thing for that age group is pause, 
take a look at your child and your child stage and decide intentionally what fits for you rather than just rolling with it day to day and making short-term decisions. Sit down with your partner, sit down with your co-parenting posse and think about what do I want for my child in this life stage? What can fit for me and fit for them? And how can I create a plan and stick with it being consistent for the health and development of my child of that age? I was just going to throw something in there for parents. Here's a freebie. But there is some benefits that come with technology. And one of the benefits, as my kids have gotten older, I'm always looking for what angle do I have to punish my child, right? And I know that might sound harsh, but you have to think about what can I take away from them that stings a bit, And so I've always had to navigate this because my kid, one of my children loves reading. My wife has, and I have at times, you know, teetered on, do you take away reading time? And I'm like, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. I don't want, you know, I don't want to punish them with reading. So for example, if my son, you know, punches my other son, what's going to be the repercussion Mm -hmm. for that? Is it time out? And maybe, you know, that's often something that we'll use in our in our house, if not for anything, for them to take time to think through what's happened and then to, you know, reconcile whatever has taken place. But technology is a great way to parent in that and to use that as a repercussion, such as in our family, just practically speaking, this is how we do it. I don't want to say this is how everyone should do it, but just to give you some idea into the Steiger household, what does it look like? Our kids have a specific allotted time for device for screen time and they can lose that time so if they do something terrible they can lose it completely i think my kids have lost screen time up to a week or it could be incremental it could be like hey you're losing 5 10 30 minutes whatever that might be and it's quite effective yeah how do you feel about that <laughs> I've got different families choose to discipline in different ways. And so I think for me, uh, for the sake of this podcast, I'll land on discipline. I would encourage all families to think about as a long-term thing where it's like, how do I teach my child the long-term lesson here? And so um, sometimes, you know, as families, we just need to get through it. And But mostly, like, how can I get my child at this age to understand why this doesn't fit for our family values for your brother who was hit in the head? And so that always takes the place of relationship and conversation with the parent and then often takes some sort of consequence uh, to reinforce or anchor that lesson. I am realizing, even as I say this, you have to take into account the age of the child. Always. You know, because when our kids were younger, they just didn't put... They They couldn't actually connect. No. So a lot of parents actually uh, discipline in this way. They take away things, and sometimes I get caught doing this as well, and they're, they don't connect, oh, you know, my trains or my screen is gone because I punched my brother in the head. And then sometimes they do if the parent can sit with them and say and communicate that to them and create, the, it's called a bridge. This is what happens when this occurs. And so it's far more effective actually uh, when you're a teenager. But basically this lands on a value that I would encourage all parents to have and establish in their households that screens are a privilege. They're not a right. Let me throw one more out there that happened. Again, I want to be practical here. One time uh, my son played on a device when he was younger. It was my iPad and I let him play a game on it and he, he lost. He got so upset that he hit the screen and he broke it. He broke the screen. So he had no idea perhaps, you know, that it didn't take much 
to break it. But we had him pay for it. So he had his money that he had saved up from birthdays or whatever, and he had to pay for a new screen. I must confess, that was probably one of the best parenting moments we've ever had. My son still talks about it to this day because it changed the way that he interacts. Now, he accidentally broke a screen two years later, and so we split that one with him. 50-50. Again, it was an amazing parenting moment, though, because he had to be the right age, right, to make the connection. But man, when they make that connection, it was a valuable teaching moment. Yeah, and that's a great example of long-term parenting. And it's kind of hard to guess, you know, what age and so that the child is going to connect with this lesson. And so what actually ends up happening and what we need to do as parents, and and I want to encourage you all to do, is to create these potential long-term discipline lessons for our children to engage in year after year, time after time, so that when it's a perfect storm and their development and their relationship and that the very particular moment collide, that they will collide. You've created the potential for this deep learning to occur and that they will encounter this long-term learning because of your parenting. There's some really practical things that I would like to get into this particular episode around technology, especially for the older age group, and that is having a plan. Okay, so this is not something that I encourage us to navigate day to day. I want to encourage all of our listeners uh, and viewers today to sit down and practically think about a plan about how you can implement limitations or changes on screen time, especially now we're talking about 12 and up. And so part of these things is to talk about with your children what this is going to look like so that I know you've had unlimited screen time at this, um, but you know, I just listened to this podcast or Uh, saw this video and realized that actually I need to start parenting this online world. Not only am I legally required to do it, but it's important for you, for you to be healthy and for your relationships and for long-term learning. And so we're going to be starting to do this a little differently. So you've been having unlimited screen time and uh, our family is now going to choose when we're going to have screen time. And so when you'll have access to the internet. And I want to talk to you about when you're hoping that time will be. And so this is not a negotiation, it's a conversation that I want to encourage you to have with your children to have input into, knowing beforehand with your partner what the time spot or slot is. Is it one hour? Is it two hours? Is it five hours? Is it more on the weekends and less during the week? But be clear before you go in, how much screen time do you want your teens and children to be engaging in? Like literally a number. And uh, if you need to, you know, pull up your own research, a simple Google will give you some good recommendations on that. But, you know, encounter what fits for your family and for your kid as well. Another is, you know, the impact of screens on sleep is enormous. And so I want to highly recommend, and uh, the RCMP would too, that all screens and devices are not allowed in the bedroom. That is actually a lack of parenting, that screens need to come out of the bedrooms, screens are not allowed on their phones or devices underneath pillows, you know, talk about cyberbullying, pinging you at midnight, and anxiety raising. I think we would add another one to this. In our family, our kids know there's two areas that a device cannot be, their bedroom and the bathroom. Mm -hmm. 
Would you throw the bathroom in there as well? Yes. Yes. I would, um, with people with larger homes, I would do any closed doors, to be honest. I would take it personally a step further and all devices need to be in a public area in the home different people have different sized homes and so if there's you know a basement with a closed door situation that's not going to be allowed in my home so that's how it is in our in our house devices are in the living room and so we have this table in the living room that's always a mess (laughs) of devices and that's where they all get stored. And if our kids want to use them, they know that that's where it has to happen. Yes. And practically speaking, I would like to encourage you to create like a a plug-in portal, if you will, that when your kids go to bed, actually the recommendation is two hours before the child goes to bed so that their whole body and mind can actually come down from how it registers the light even on the screens, but the movement as well. I can't get into the research today. But two hours between the time you want your kid's eyes to close and fall asleep, um, that they plug in their devices, uh, maybe it's in the hallway or whatever, that everything is getting charged. We're going to go back to modeling here that parents do this as well. A common comment from parents uh, after they hear this from me is, well, their alarm clock is on their phone. So you can go to London Drugs and you can buy an alarm clock. Amazon is also great for that. I know I can't help but giggle a little (laughs) bit that this is actually a, a big deal. And things like alarm clocks, I'm going to encourage you to look into and to get for yourself, for your children, that this is far bigger than losing a little bit of sleep over this. This is actually the number one reason why adolescents are not getting enough sleep at night, which impacts their ability to learn, their ability to self-regulate, anxiety, depression. And so this is this is a huge impact on mental health and social development that needs to be addressed. So I want to throw one more in here that parents can think about. And I think you can leverage technology. And now I talked about how you could use it for discipline, but you can also use it, you can leverage it in other ways that are more positive. For example, for our kids, we require them to read. It started out at 30 minutes. Now it's an hour. They have to read an hour and they have to play their instrument for 30 minutes before, and sometimes there's other things that have to get added on to that. Maybe it's some chore or something else, but they know, okay, this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen before I can even use my allotted screen time. Right. And again, you know, we've talked a lot about boundaries, but man, do they love knowing this. Our, our kids have thrived in this. They know I have this much screen time that I can use, and I know I've got to do this, this, and this to get my screen time. And it becomes a real positive motivator. My kids have learned to love reading. They have learned to love playing their instrument. And it's worked out actually really well. And I would suggest the reason why it's worked so well is because you are clear and you are consistent, and that your wife, your partner is on board. And so those are very important factors here, that if your partner hasn't tuned into this, you know, one, two, and then hopefully you guys join us for a third, get them tuned in. Use the same language. Start these conversations at the top. Get on the same page so that you can be clear with one another and you can uphold these boundaries together. 
Then you can be clear with your child in grace, with love, knowing that this is going to be hard for them if it's changed from what you have already done. If you can at all possible, start really young. Uh, It's easier to do that. And then once you've established your boundaries, your routine, your limitations, for you to be very, very clear and consistent about what that looks like in your home, not only modeling, but expecting. Once this consistency occurs, give it two weeks. Give it two weeks of difficulty, of establishing, of forgetting and coming back to. Then the regulation in the whole household kind of settles in to the new routine. And once you've settled in, enjoy what that will give you as a family. But don't make any major decisions unless you've given this a good hard two weeks of consistency and then reassess how does this fit for my family? Where are we going to go from here? Well, we're all out of time today. There's lots more that we need to talk about. So we're going to come back in a third session and we're going to get really practical. Again, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to this last session. Going to get into some real practical stuff as we continue to talk about parenting your children in a technological age. Thank you for joining the AC Podcast. We'll be back next week with more things to think about. 